Okay, so we have an intimate group tonight, although we have a live, live stream going, Chase. Yep. Um, so um, I'm just glad to be here tonight. And I, by nature, am much more of a teacher than a preacher. So I'm going to ask you questions, and we don't have a big group, but I want you to shout out answers if you want to. A um, couple things. One is, um, obviously, day one past election we had a great gathering on Monday night for fasting and prayer. Um, it was a time of praise and worship. It was a time of prayer for our, our communities, time for our prayer for our first responders, time for prayer for our families, for our schools, for our school boards, for our local uh, workers, for our country, for our nation. It was just very encouraging. Um, and I just encourage us all to continue to pray just for all that's going on in our nation right now and that God... Uh, God's will would be done. And within that, again, I'm always going to encourage that we as a church should be the calming influence, meaning in any group, we should have hope, we should have trust, that we know God is in control. And just as we're singing here, praising and worshiping God, you know, um, as I get older, I'm about to turn 58, I'm 57 now, it becomes very clear to me consistently that the answer really is Jesus, that he knows who we are. He knows what our struggles are. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. He knows that we're all broken and we all need a savior. So as we get, on, get going tonight, um, we're going to focus on Jesus because that's what we need to do. Um, we're going to be focusing on um, Matthew 6 verses 19 through 34. Uh, as I was briefly talking with Chase in the back, he goes, Dave, you really like the Sermon on the Mount, don't you? And I said, Yes, I do. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, if you have a red-letter Bible, is the longest continuous red-letter um, uh, that there is. It's three full chapters, and it's all Jesus' teaching, and I encourage you to hang up there yourselves. Um, so let's open our word of prayer, and then we'll cover the scripture. Father God, we just again thank you for this day, and thank you for loving us so much. God, I just thank you for gathering us here tonight, that you are with us. God, we are just so thankful for your word. We're just so thankful for the way it speaks to us. God, the way you use it in our lives, Lord. We just pray for your Holy Spirit to be here now, just to be filling each of us, um, giving us an open heart and an open mind to hear what your word would teach us. God, and uh, if there's areas where we need to confess, we would confess. If there's areas that we need to commit, we would commit. Father God, and we would always just be giving praise and worship to you. God, again, thank you for this time, and thank you for just bringing us here tonight, and we are just so thankful. And we do ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. So I'm going to read Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Um, and if any of you, uh, I taught a month or two ago, and we'd gone through the actual prayer of the areas before that of, of giving praying and fasting. So just, this just follows up on those um, after Jesus had been taught that pattern. So beginning in verse 19, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where th thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He will, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So um, it starts off in the beginning of this by talking about do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So before we go that before that, does anyone like to tell me what, how would you define the word treasure? What is a treasure? A prized possession. And by definition, that's a great description. Anyone else want to throw out anything for a treasure? Um, it's something we want to protect, something we want to keep safe, something that we value a lot. Uh, and I think a prized possession is a better description than I had. Um, an abundance of valuable possessions is also another description for, for being wealthy. Um, and I try to differentiate a little bit between wealth and treasure. Um, and I couldn't find a good description, but in my own mind, to some degree, wealth is a description of what you have. If someone's wealthy, that just means they have a lot of valuable stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean it's their treasure. Treasure, again, is something that, you, that is more intimate and more personal. Um, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So Jesus gives the command, and he starts off by saying, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So what are some earthly treasures that we might want to store up on? Cars, bikes, a nice new pair of skis, uh, clothes uh, that look nicely, cell phones, right? What, are, what, what, what Apple iPhone are we on now? 12? I mean, What's wrong with Apple One? It's probably just as good. Well, probably not. But point being is, there's a lot of things that we do um, prize. Um, and, and the list can be pretty long. And when Jesus said specifically, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, um, it's defining those uh, treasures in a certain way. Um, actually, before we go there, what makes something a treasure? What makes something a treasure? It kind of goes along with Chase's description, something that you highly value. So what might be a treasure for Lori might not be a treasure for me. She may think that her new car is her treasure, and I don't think she does, by the way. But I may go, ah, whatever, I don't care about a car. So that, that the idea of a treasure can vary from person to person, but it's definitely something that you desire, that you want to possess, and you want to keep, right? And you want to protect, that's really the definition of it. And what do we think a treasure will do for us? What do we think a treasure will do for us? Help fulfill needs? Help us be satisfied? Help us feel more valuable? Because I have this treasure, I have more value or more, or more worth. Um, but the problem with the treasures on earth that we're talking about is, and we all know this, I think the biggest, the biggest example of this that I can think of is, how excited I used to get on Christmas morning about opening up a new present. And for whatever the toy was, uh, I remember one year I was about 12, everyone was riding unicycles. That was the big thing, unicycles. And I was hoping for a unicycle for Christmas, and my parents got me a unicycle for Christmas. And for the next 
three, six, nine, 12 months, I was on that unicycle all the time, getting better and better and better on it. And then within a year or two or three, the unicycle sat in the garage, right? And that's kind of frequently an issue with the way our treasures are. There's something that we really want, really desire, it really fulfills a desire, and then sometimes that just goes away. And what Jesus says is, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. I think that's a great thing, by the way. Um, this is not a, a uh, wool shirt, but I have several nice wool shirts in my closet that I got out and I had moth holes in them not too recently. Um, so what this is talking about Earthly treasures are, by definition, temporary. They're temporary. They do not last. Again, the options are, I'm a scientist. Everything, everything will decay. There's nothing permanent in this universe. This universe will end, right? The only thing permanent is God. But where Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, so they're going to deteriorate, or where thieves break in and steal. So there's things that we want to hold on to that other people may want as well. But the bottom line is, they naturally are going to decay. We are going to lose them. And certainly, even if they last a long time, they're going to be gone. They may even outlast us, but they're going to be gone. So earthly treasures are temporary, are going to be lost, and you can't hold on to them. And they cause frustration frequently. The contrast is, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Nice to know that there's no moths in heaven that are going to eat our clothes. And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the contrast to the temporal, contrast to the um, treasures on earth that are going to slowly decay and we're going to lose and not be able to hold on to are the treasures in heaven. Um, Lori and I were talking about that night of exactly what the treasures in heaven are. Um, Sometimes it's not exactly in exact what those treasures are. I think a lot of them are even contained in the Sermon on the Mount. But giving is a treasure. Serving is a treasure. Faithfully enduring persecution is a treasure. Loving your enemies and praying for your enemies is a treasure. Praying in secret is a treasure. Ultimately, the ultimate treasure I think we have in heaven is Jesus himself. He is our treasure. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is treasure. And these heavenly treasures are eternal. They're permanent. They can't be taken away, and we get to keep them forever. Um, I think, by definition, we all are seeking treasure. We all desire treasure, because that's not a bad thing. The question is whether we're going to search for earthly, temporal treasure, or whether we're going to serve and look for eternal treasures. And this scripture strongly suggests that we can't have both. He ends up that beginning of this by saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. I think we all can relate to that because, you know, I, I jokingly say, maybe not jokingly, I think in America and in wealthy countries, and I hope I'm not offending anyone here or on this super feed, uh, on the live feed, I think you can to some degree tell how committed some people are in America is by their checkbook. And I say that because if I say I love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus and my finances all go towards David, what I want to do, where I want to go, serving myself, and almost none of my finances go towards fill in the blank, whatever that looks like, that may be different for each of us. Tithing to the church, giving to missionaries, giving to 
serving the poor, feeding the hungry. I think, again, if I believe that my treasure is the Lord in heaven, it's pretty easy to give stuff away. And again, I'm not saying that if you, know, you look at someone's checkbook, absolutely you can tell, but I suspect you can because where our heart is, where the treasure is, is where our heart is. So if our treasure is Jesus, how can we not move in that direction? How can we not serve in that direction? How can we not give in that direction? Um, Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So where your treasure is, your heart is, and that's going to reflect what comes out. And that kind of is reflected in the next couple of verses as well. In verses 22 um, through 23, it basically talks about the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I have to admit, I've always kind of struggled with that segment of, the, of this scripture, or kind of going, what exactly does that mean? So I went to several commentaries to get their ideas of what it was actually talking about. And basically, the focus coming right after the idea for where your treasure is, where your heart is, your eye being the lamp of the body, if your eyes are good, if they're focused on generosity, if they're focused on giving, if they're focused on forgiveness, then your whole body will be full of light. But if the eyes are, are bad, in essence, you're focused on temporal. You're focused on the worldly gains. You're focused on those treasures on earth that do rust and do uh, decay. Then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you darkness, how great is that darkness? You know, light and dark is used frequently in the Bible with obviously God saying, you know, Jesus came as the light but men prefer darkness. Um, so we have a choice, and this is just re-emphasizing that again. Are we going to be focusing on the eternal, focusing on the um, treasures that God desires us to have that we can store in heaven or temporal? And just there, there's consequences for that. Um, verse 24 kind of summarizes this a little bit um, and says, No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We are either going to have treasure on earth with clean, good eyes that are full of light, or we're going to have treasures, I'm sorry, treasures on earth and darkness if we choose that, and darkness for our eyes, or we're going to have eyes that are good, full of light and generosity as we focus on treasures in heaven. We have to choose, and you can't choose both. Now, here's a question. So can we have money? Can we have wealth? Is that okay? I actually would agree with that, and we're going to kind of expand on that a little bit. So we're going to flip over to Luke 18, and we're going to have kind of a contrast in two different characters. I think these parables would be fairly... Um, uh, knowledgeable to y'all, and I don't think it's random that they occur within two paragraphs of each other. Of course, I don't think anything in the Bible is random. I think God knows exactly what we need to hear. So we're going to start in Luke 18, verses 18 through 27. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus said this, he said, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who heard this said, who then can be saved? Jesus responded, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So we have several characters in this story. We have the rich ruler, and in some um, of the chat, and some of the other story where it's told, it says the rich young ruler. He was both a leader and he was and he was wealthy, and he was interested in Jesus. Right? He he found Jesus, went to him, and he also had a desire. He knew he was lacking something, so he was seeking to find what that lack was, and I think that's a healthy thing. So he goes to t- Jesus and says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him the list, and basically those are out of the Ten Commandments. Um, You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, Um, which he had been doing. Of interest, though, is even though he'd been keeping all the commandments, he knew there was something more. Because what's his question to Jesus? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he had a need. He was trying to figure out what that need was. Um, And Jesus goes to the heart of the matter in verse 22. Basically, he sees what the man's challenge is, and he says, sell everything, all you have, give to the poor, then you have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Again, he gives a list of what he needs to do. Um, And what's the key problem of the man struggling with? When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Now, one could ask the question, if it was a poor man that was asking Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life, how would Jesus have responded to him? I don't know, because I think Jesus knows the heart of every individual. And maybe to a poor man, he would tell him to sell everything he owns. If you're asked to sell everything you own, does it really matter whether you're rich or poor? He's asking you to get rid of everything. But we as humans clearly rank things. It's easier for me to give away an old car than a new car, right? It's either easier for me to give away an older jacket of mine than the brand new jacket that I just bought. Um, so we rank things. But Jesus, again, I think what he does is he looks into our heart and sees what the need was. And what he sees in the, in the rich ruler is his wealth is holding him back. His treasure is on earthly desires. His treasure is what he's doing with that wealth. Uh, And um, I would suggest probably that this ruler trust that that wealth was going to take care of him. How does wealth lead you astray? Wealth leads you astray, and I didn't look it up, but there's a story of the guy who's rich, and he basically says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a big barn and put everything in the barn, and then I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. You remember what Jesus says to him? Tonight. Tonight, your soul is colorful, and someone else is going to inherit all your stuff. 
you know, so, so wealth, the, the danger of wealth is we can trust in ourselves, we can meet our own needs, we don't have to be anxious, we don't have to worry, we have the right insurance, the right everything else. So, you know, that is the danger of wealth. Um, so again, the challenge for the rich ruler was his treasure was in the treasure on earth that even though he had a lot of it, it was going to decay, it was going to rust, and it was going to be stolen, or it was going to be inherited by his kids after he died. You know, so... And Jesus obviously sees what that man's need is and challenges him. And also notice, interestingly enough, Jesus does not chase after him. As he leaves and as he goes away sad, is what he said. Um, When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. He wasn't willing to do it because it was too hard or because he just wasn't at that point. But Jesus didn't say, wait, wait, it's okay. It's okay. You know, you don't have to give away. Just... No, Jesus, again, saw what the need was, challenged him, and he went away sad. And who knows, maybe later on he did sell. Maybe he did respond. We have no idea what the long-term outcome was, but Jesus, again, challenged him about what his treasure was. Um, so let's jump forward just a few, half a chapter to Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through a uh, and, and was, I'm sorry, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but he being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. By the way, you ever, I mean, we always tell the story to our children, and there's a song about Zacchaeus and stuff. But have you ever visualized this? Jesus walked along and looks up in a tree, and Zacchaeus is up in the tree so he can see him. I just think that's uh, pretty hilarious. It also tells us a few things about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, yes, he was a tax collector, so he probably wasn't liked very much, but he was wealthy. So he probably had his degree of respect in, in how people viewed him. Uh, he wanted to see Jesus enough that he was willing to run ahead and climb a tree because he was too short to be able to see it in the crowd. I think that even initially suggests that Zacchaeus is being called to Jesus. And as Jesus looks up and addresses him and says, come down, what's Zacchaeus' response? He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. The people recognized Zacchaeus was a sinner. You know, I mean, at times what's interesting in the Bible, they'll say, Tax, they'll taste sinners and tax collectors. They kind of had their own category of being a sinner. Um, and they obviously weren't liked very much because they worked for the Romans, they collected taxes, and a lot of the times the way they made their money by was collecting extra taxes. So Zacchaeus was not uh, very popular, I'm sure. Um, but even though he was a sinner and he was a tax collector, how did Zacchaeus respond to Jesus? Well, number one, he ran ahead and climbed the tree. Number two, when Jesus said, hey, I want to stay at your house, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And then his response for his wealth. 
how did Zacchaeus respond to his wealth? Because remember, it, it, it defines him as a wealthy man. And Jesus doesn't even talk about his wealth. He just looks up and says, hey, come down. I want to hang out. Let's have, uh, have some people over and have dinner. Zacchaeus says yes. And the people are thinking, ah, this guy's a sinner. He really doesn't deserve to. So Zacchaeus's response, without prompting by Jesus, without prompting by Jesus, as people are perceiving who he is, he stands up and says, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. Boom. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So Zacchaeus is a changed man. He clearly recognizes the gift that Jesus is offering him. That is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate treasure. Zacchaeus's response here is by generously just offering to give half his possessions to the poor and paying back anyone that he has cheated. So the question we should ask, with the rich ruler, did his wealth on earth control him and prevent him from having Jesus be his savior? The answer is yes, because he wasn't able to do what he was asking to. Same question for Zacchaeus. Did his wealth control him and prevent him from responding to Jesus? The answer is no. His wealth did not control him. By the way, I will argue, how much of Zacchaeus' wealth did he give away? Half. Was he still a wealthy man? I think he is. He still had, if he was a wealthy guy, if he had $2 million, he still has $1 million. So Zacchaeus, and who knows what he did with the rest of it, but his point, the point is, he responded to Christ, recognized the value of the treasure that Jesus was offering, and was willing to walk away from it or give it away. Um, great quote by a, by a missionary who was martyred back in the 50s, um, name of Jim Elliott. And he had a quote that basically said, if you have something that you own that you cannot give away, you don't own it, it owns you. Obviously, that's a, that's a powerful statement. In many ways, that's exactly what Jesus is saying now, is can we be generous and can we do it? Um, and what is, what is Jesus' response? Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. By the way, only two paragraphs before, Jesus had said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it asked, who then can be saved? Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And boom, there it is. Zacchaeus is saved. Answer to what Jesus said in the previous paragraph, there's a rich man being saved. So as tough as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but it's because of what Jesus did and by how Zacchaeus chose to respond. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has just been teaching for three chapters, and he sums up everything by saying, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, I'm sorry, um, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house in the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew 
and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So this is about all of Jesus' teachings, by the way, but just apply it right now to the teachings we just read. So the wise man will not store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, and the wise man, wise woman, will not not do that. They will store up for themselves treasures in heaven. The wise man or woman will recognize that where their treasure is, their heart will be. And the wise man or woman will recognize you cannot serve both God and money. And our desire is, obviously, that we should be serving God. So I encourage you to just go home, think about that some more. Let's close in prayer, and that's the teaching for this evening. Father, again, we just thank you for this evening. God, and I just thank you for your word, which is just as precious, more precious than anything we can possibly touch or store. God, you teach us how to live. You teach us how to love. You teach us how to serve, Lord. You know what our greatest needs are, and you provide a Savior, Lord. God, we are sinners condemned to eternal separation from you, Lord, and yet you give us hope. You give us salvation through Jesus, Lord, not by what we do, not by us earning it, but by your gift of your son. God, I just pray that we would just have that wisdom to see the unbelievable opportunities you give us to store up treasures in heaven. God, that are just life-changing and eternity-changing. God, allow us to live differently, to be different because you're in our lives, Lord, to live in hope, not in fear, to live in peace, not in anxiety, to live with confidence, not insecurity. God, and we can do all that in the, in the name of Jesus, Lord. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.